There are times when the consequences of our actions are, let's say, greater than we expected. You open the fridge, you look at that container and go, I don't remember that. How long has that been there? And you turn the jar lid and you, and then you realize, you know in chemistry class when they taught you whiffed it toward you? You've opened it and you've stuck your nose in and you take that big like that and you, oh, oh, I will, oh, was not expecting that. Right? There, there are times that the consequences of our actions are greater than we expect. You get up in the morning and you very quietly sneak out to the kitchen and you're just going to make some breakfast very quietly because you don't want to wake anybody up. And then you knock the silverware off of the table and it falls on the floor and clatter, clatter, clatter all over the place and the whole house is awake and the, you just know, okay, Turns out I'm not going to just make breakfast and slip back to bed before the kids wake up because they're up and that's my fault. Those are are silly examples, but the reality is that sometimes the consequences of our action are much greater. That click of the mouse. That hesitating thought. That looking just a little too long, that dwelling on something just a little bit longer than you should have. The, I wonder what would happen if, maybe if I just peek, it won't be too bad. The consequences of sin end up being much greater than we first thought, and we have to look at that this morning. Last week, uh, we were in Romans chapter 5, we are still in Romans chapter 5, Last week we were looking at Romans uh, chapter 5, and I, I want to start in verse 8 uh, through 11, which we looked at last week. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were Enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What a great text that talks about the state of what we were. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. And we have been reconciled with him. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He continues on. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at those two pieces. The piece of the sin, enemies, wrath of God part. And then the grace and life and reconciliation part next week. So those of you who showed up for the baby dedication, and this is your one Sunday here because you were just here to watch a baby dedicated... You got the sin and death week. (laughs) I would encourage you to come again next week. He goes on in Romans 5, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. 
but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Our sin problem is greater than we give it credit for. Much of the time, our sin problem is much greater than we want to acknowledge or admit. It's there. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. We'd like to diminish that. and You know, it's not really that bad. Or at least it wasn't that bad. I did some stuff in there. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, some of the good stuff I did would make up for it. On the whole, when you look at the balance of the body of my overall work, I think it's probably not so bad. When I consider the sins of others, I recognize that my sin is not so bad as I might have thought. And we want to diminish the effect that sin has on our life and the effects of our sins. Therefore, he says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Sin came into the world. It wasn't created that way. It wasn't that way from the beginning. Right? God didn't look at the world and say, Oh, that's good. I just love how that sin streaks through there. He created the world and He did step back and go, That is good. Oh, that's very good. It was very good because it was perfect. He had made it, created it perfectly. He had created people in His image to care for His perfect creation. And everything worked in harmony. And man walked with God in the garden and talked with Him. And there they were together in perfect harmony. We can't even imagine that. No shame. The man and his wife were in the garden and they were naked and they had no shame. Because they had no reason to be ashamed. They had committed no sin. Husbands and wives, think about that for a second. There was no shame between them because neither of them had ever sinned against the other or against God. Yeah, I know. I can't imagine it either. And yet that's how God created it. So what happened then? It said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. For in that the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Oh, seems reasonable. You can eat of all of the trees except for that one. So what happened? Adam and Eve were walking through the garden. They were taking care of the garden. And the serpent came along and said to Eve, 
Did God really say you can't eat of any of the trees of the garden? He said, no, no, of course we can eat from the trees of the garden. There's, there's just that one. We shouldn't eat from that one. Oh, but Eve, the fruit on that tree is so good. It tastes good. It looks good. And if you eat from that tree, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And Eve went, oh, well, it does look good. It does seem like it would be good to eat. And I would become wise if I ate that. How bad could it be? You know, I'll just, just turn the jar lid. And open it up and see what it is. And she took some and she ate and she handed it to her husband and her husband ate. And it was like they took that big whiff. Good and evil, huh? What's that smell like? Oh! Oh! I was not expecting that. I... I did not think that's what was going to happen when I ate that fruit. And they looked at each other and went, Ah! You're naked! So are you! Ah! Cover up! Suddenly, when there had been no shame there before, now there is shame because sin has entered the world. And their perspective is different than it has ever been. Because they're in the wrong and they've never been there before. And what did God say would happen when they did that sin? Not only has sin entered the world and so now they have this reason to be ashamed because they've done things that they shouldn't done, shouldn't do. They have violated the direct commands of God. But now, right on the coattails of sin entering the world, there's death right behind it. And so God comes and he finds them and he finds out what they've done. And in Genesis 3, chapter 15, he's speaking to the serpent and he says, Listen, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Look, there is going to be strife now, serpent. Between you and your offspring and the offspring of mankind forevermore. There's going to be this strife. And if you remember back, those of you back way back when we were doing the book of Genesis, we saw that playing out through the book of Genesis. This is a theme that we saw with the, the seed of the serpent, the, or the offspring of the serpent, and the offspring of the man. And they were pitted against one another. And we saw it come up over and over again. This wrestling between these two offspring. Who was going to win? Who was going to come out ahead? And then God turns to Adam in chapter 3, Genesis 3, 17, and He says to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread 
till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And ever since that time, there has been sin in the world. Ever since that time, there's been sin in the world. Adam and Eve looked and they went, I wonder what's in this. I know he said, don't open this door, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a peek. I'm just going to crack it open and see what's on the, what's on the other side of this door. How come he doesn't want us to know what's on the other side of this door? And he opens it up just a little bit. Boom. Sin is in the world. And the consequence of sin is death. But we naively think that that didn't really have an effect on us because I'm my own individual person. That, I know, that happened a long time ago. Adam did that and sin entered the world. And I understand from a biblical perspective that's true. But when we look at baby dedications and you hold up this cute little baby... Look at how innocent they are. I'll pay you later. (laughs) Look at how cute and innocent they are. I can't imagine there being any sin nature in them because look at that. They're just beautiful. Sure, they'll grow up and they'll turn like seven or nine or something and then we'll know about their sin nature. But that has nothing to do with them. We want to believe that there's like this moral neutrality. That we're all born as an innocent blank slate. Not having done anything, and so there's no record one way or the other. And the reality is that there is no such thing as a neutral birth. There is no such thing as Just neutral. Zero. Everybody is born into something. We oh it would seem more fair, sure, if everybody was born into zero, into neutrality. All children are born equal. That would be great, but that's not the world that we live in. It's not that way financially. Right? Some children are born into great wealth. Other children are born into great poverty. That's not fair. It shouldn't be that way. That's how it is. But they didn't do anything. There was nothing that they did or could have done to make it so that they deserved to be born into a family of wealth. Yep, that's true. That's just the way it was. Some kids are born into wealth. But it's not fair. Other kids are born into poverty. They didn't do anything. There was nothing that they did to deserve that. They were, they've just been born. Yep. That's how it is. Whatever family you're born into, you're born into something, some kind of heritage, some kind of tendencies. 
You're born into a family in the United States. You're born into a family in Australia. You're born into a family somewhere in Asia or in Africa or in Europe or in South America. Somewhere. How did that happen? I don't know. You were born and that's where you were. Some of the things that are very obvious, like location. Some of the, the things are less obvious, like the tendencies of your parents. Their personality type. Their skills, their interests. All of those things have effect on the children. It had nothing to do with the kids. Just the family that they were born into. And what we realize is if we go back down our heritage line far enough, we all come back to the same place. We all come back to Adam. We all come back to Adam and his sin. Well, that's not fair. I don't even remember Adam. If I was in heaven, I wouldn't even know him from... Him. How is it that something that he did so long ago could still have such an impact on every single descendant? All seven billion of us, or whatever the count is now, all over the world. How is it that his cracking the door open and just seeing what that fruit might taste like in direct disobedience to God could have an effect on every single person? The reality is that's what happened. After that sin was in the world, we had a sin nature that was passed down from generation to generation to generation, and that's a problem. You look around and you see the economic disparity that is around the world and the great poverty that is in some places and you think, oh, that is a problem. And it's just because of the way that these people, things were passed down there versus the way things were passed down there. And it wasn't even fair the way that happened. These people took advantage of those people and so now those people have more and they have less. That's not their fault. And now we're looking generations later at the effects of these things. This is a problem. Guess what? Sin is more so and it's pervasive. Everybody deals with it. But when we stand and we're taking moral account of where we are, we very rarely go, okay, so I started out at negative 100. We usually want to go, okay, starting from the time I remember doing things, how did I do? But the reality is you were born into a family of debt. A sin debt. Being passed down from generation to generation. And the effects and the impacts of that are pervasive. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. Now we all have this sin problem. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. When you're reading that verse, 
Verse 12. You see this, just as, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And what you're expecting, if you've read Romans before, even if you've read a few verses further, what you're expecting is for him to start talking about Jesus here. Right? Just as sin entered the world through one man, so righteousness came through somebody else. That's next week, folks. That's not what this is saying. Just as Adam opened the door and sin entered the world and death came in through sin, just as that, so also, what? Death spread to all men because all sinned. When I was younger and I was first learning about the whole Adam and Eve and they sinned and sin came into the world uh, because of them, I was thinking, you know, that's not fair. That's not fair. Just because they messed up way back there, now everybody has to deal with sin. And then I got just a little bit older and I um, had sort of a proud humility about me somehow. And I went, you know, probably if it was me, I would have done the same thing. I'll give Adam a pass because if it were me, I probably would have done the same thing. I don't think we have to do a probably hypothetical there. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Hypothetically, if you were in a position of Adam where this moral thing was put before you and you had to decide were you going to sin or not, what would you have done? Well, you can just look back at your life at all of the times that a moral dilemma has been put before you and you, how did you do? Did you pick righteousness every time? Nope. Me neither. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Was the tendencies that we have and the willfulness and the self-centeredness and the greed and the lust and the anger and the sheer stupidity that we all have and so we've all sinned. Sin entered the world through one man and death came in with sin and so now we all see death around us all the time and we see sin around us all the time and there we are participating right in the midst of it. It's like those who um, were born into debt and they saw their parents accruing more debt. And so the first thing that they do once they're old enough is they get a credit card and they continue the cycle to go into debt so that they can pass on to their children an increased debt. We're, We're all in that position. We're all doing that. And, and now he, he has to explain this a little bit. 
Because there are some people that, that are going, okay, but what about, what about, are you sure it's everybody? Like everybody, everybody? What if, what if they don't know though? Huh? Right? There's, there's some people that they don't know. I mean, Adam definitely knew. God told him, don't eat from that tree, and Adam ate from that tree. That's pretty clear. But what about people that, that don't know? Can we hold them responsible too? For sin indeed was in the world even before the law was given. This is verse 13. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Right? But, but, yeah, well, if there's no law, then there is no sin. Right? If there's no speed limit out there, I can just drive as fast as I want. It wasn't posted. No speed limit. I can just do whatever I want. There wasn't a sign saying no stealing. So I didn't know. I just went in and, and took it. I, I thought we were sharing today. I, I didn't know. Can we claim a, I didn't know? Right? That, that sin maybe didn't spread, spread to everybody because not everybody knew. So we can't hold them culpable. It, just like um, in chapter 4, he was talking about the promise to Abraham, right? And he was trying to help the, the people of his church understand, listen, the promise was to Abraham before there was law. Before there was law. And so he, he says uh, in Romans chapter 4, verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the circumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after. But before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All of this was to, to drive home the fact that God's promise, that God's blessing, that God's grace was obtained by faith apart from what you did in the law. Apart from the work that you did in the law, that's how the grace, that's how the favor was obtained. Now he's making the, the case on the opposite side. He's saying, just like you don't obtain righteousness by the law, also it is not strictly by the law that you are condemned. Even before the law, even before the law, Verse 14, yet death reigned, even before the law, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. You see, in Adam, you had this very clear, direct command from God, you shall not eat from that tree. Then with Moses came these very clear laws. This is how you shall know you are a righteous people. And every time there was a direct disobedience, everybody knew, oops, that was sin. 
Somebody find me something that I can kill to atone for my sin. I need to repent because that was sin. There was a direct command to Adam. There was a direct command in the law. But there was death between Adam and Moses. Because there was sin even when there wasn't a direct command violation like there was for Adam or like there was under Moses. There's still sin. There are times that my children are doing perfectly well. And then there are times when they are less than perfect in my house. And the way they treat each other is not what I would consider acceptable. I have given direct commands about some of these things. Thou shalt not hit. Thou shalt not steal another's toy. These are direct commands in my house. But there are some times when um, retaliation comes into play. Dad, you, you didn't have a direct command about you shall not retaliate. Okay, now there's a direct command. You shall not retaliate. Was there no sin? Well, he hit me first. I just hit him back. No, that's not okay. You're not allowed to hit. Whether or not there was a back or front, that, no, no hitting. Well, he took the toy from me. I just took it back. Nope, time out. That's not how that works. Well, I didn't mean to. I just sort of bumped her and she fell into the wall. And so did you apologize? Yeah, totally apologized. What did that totally apologized sound like? Hey, really sorry you slammed into that wall. I was just running and didn't see you. Okay, that's not an apology. That's an excuse. We want to do the same things with our sin. We want to make excuses rather, rather than apologies. We want to make excuses rather than repent. And what Paul is doing here is he's taking out the excuse. He's taking out the direct command excuse. Look, whether or not you knew, whether or not you uh, had been told directly, you violated the laws of God, the universal laws of God. You violated the, the relationship with God. You did not treat God as though He were God. You did not give Him the glory for being God. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. We remember this from Romans chapter 1, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Notice that. Ever since the creation of the world. Ever since the time of Adam. Even before the revelation of the law through Moses. Ever since creation. These have been clearly perceived. 
Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. That is the key right there. They did not honor God or give thanks to Him. That's the problem. That's the sin. The other things are expressions of sin. How did you not honor God? How did you not give thanks to Him? Who did you give thanks to instead of Him? What did you do that was not honoring to God? Those are all of the little things. Those are all of the things that the law spells out so that we can understand better how we honor God or how we don't honor God. But the reality is that just by the fact that we know He is God and has created all of these things, we should be honoring Him and thanking Him. And when we don't, it is sin. Whatever it looks like. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Then you go on to Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. It's not because you heard the law and were told what to do that you will be justified. It is because you did what you were supposed to do. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And then again in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets do bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins and it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is not the first time that Paul has put this out, but he is bringing it up again. He is hammering it home because somehow still, even though we have gotten all the way halfway into chapter 5 of Romans and have heard this over and over again, we still are in this place going, you know, I don't think my sin's actually that bad. I mean, I acknowledge I do have a sin problem. But probably God's okay with it. Folks, God is not okay with it. Has never been okay with it. And you have never been not sinful. That's the reality. We started off born into sin. 
and then willingly, enthusiastically participated in it. And until we realize that, we can't fully appreciate the great gift that is the righteousness that is available to us through the grace of God in Christ Jesus. You cannot fully appreciate that until first you have understood the depravity of of our nature in sin. Jesus talks about this in, in um, as, as he's talking with some people, some Pharisees, and he's talking with them, and, and they say, "Why is she acting that way?" <laughs> he says, "Because she's been forgiven so much, and she knows it." That's the thing. We give glory to God and thanks to Him when we know it. When we excuse it, pretend it's not there, we're not giving honor to Him. We're not giving thanks to Him. It's an additional sin. To belittle, to diminish our previous sin and excuse it, is to continue to sin. Because the only way that that sin can be removed and taken care of is if we first acknowledge it and say, God, this is you. This has to be you. Because it can't be me. I am totally lost in my sin. And deserving of your wrath. So that when we were looking at it last week and it described us over and over again as the ungodly, as the sinners, as those deserving wrath, the wrath of God. You start thinking about that and going, wait, that, he's talking about me. He's not talking about them actually. He, he's, he's not talking just about us. He's talking, this is me. I'm in this place. In sin, fully deserving the wrath of God, and needing a Savior. Who needs a Savior? People who need to be saved. People who have a problem. When we look at those people who were born into poverty, and are going to continue in poverty, how is that going to be changed? Well, this is America. Anybody can become whatever they want to become. They'll just have to work hard and earn it. That's unlikely. It's unlikely that somebody is going to rise up with the deck stacked against them to become wealthy. Unless... Somebody comes in and gives them some kind of advantage that they didn't have before. Some kind of help that they didn't have before. How is someone with a sin problem going to become Well, I mean, this is America. You just work really hard and do really good stuff. That's unlikely. And also, not going to happen. You are not going to make up 
for your sin by doing good. It's not going to happen. You have to have somebody come in. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That's the one little hint. The one little hint in these three verses that there is the potential for something different. That just as Adam opened the door and sin came into the world and on its coattails, death followed behind and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yet there is this hint of another. Of a second one. A second one like Adam, but very, very different from Adam. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this... Mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just like the original man was disobedient, there is another who will be perfectly obedient even to the point of death. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There was a first Adam and he opened the door and then came sin and death and the second Adam, the last Adam, will come and he will provide life. In fact, he will reign so that even death is defeated. And it goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass what is saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we have no hope because we were born into sin and continue to sin willfully ourselves, yet there is hope because another has come who has ushered in spiritual life. And that is next week. And I hope you come back. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that we are not left in our sin. We are not left in death. Because Jesus has come. And it is in his coming, his death and his resurrection that we hope. And we ask, Father, that you would confront us today with the reality of our sin. That we might not excuse or diminish it. So that we might appreciate all the more your forgiveness of it. Your grace in providing atonement and a substitute. And that we might celebrate and rejoice today and forevermore because of your love, which is for us. Father, we praise you for this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.